Cats Guides takes a long view and a long price. Spoilers will be commonplace. Listen at your own risk. Good morning, faithful reader. Welcome, fortunate seeker. This is Podcast Guys Talking Erratic Errata. Podcast Guys Talking Erratic Errata is a whirlwind reread of a practical guide to evil, where a historian and a literature scholar tackle the big questions about one of the greatest novels of the age, such as what is the aspect which Catherine, uh, you know, seeks? Why did E.E. E. make me read that description with my own eyes? Hmm. And what's something only the real cat would know? Oh, uh, how to make the worst possible decision just all the time, but especially in this chapter. A villain should make plans with the understanding that everything you can conceive of going wrong will. And then a few other things, too. Red Empress Regalia. So, imagine, if you will, you just got poked by your friend. Okay. And you wake up in a wasteland of ash and meet your twin and then your other twin. And one twin kills the twin. But that twin had been killed by the twin before. Don't worry about it. And then you also meet a beast and you meet a sexy stranger. Okay. I'm imagining. Okay. Now, what if I told you that that podcast co-host was Catherine Foundling? That's right. I just recapped the chapter. That was really good. You really snuck it in. Like, you, you snuck that under my radar. I did not know that's where you were going with this. But I can see from your notes on the chapter that we both saw where the other was going with this when Catherine enters her dream and tells us that she was surrounded, it seemed, by an endless wasteland of ash and dust. He did definitely wake up to ash and dust. Wipe her brow, sweat her rust, breathe in her chemicals. Hey, I just want you to be aware. That sounded terrible over the mic. <laughs> so keeping it? Oh, yeah. Uh, that was, of course, a reference to William Shakespeare's Radioactive. Mm-hmm. I really, I assumed that's where you were going when you said imagine, if you will, and started describing things. But, you know, uh, your thing was fine. No, imagine it's John Lennon. Your thing was fine, too. Oh, gotcha. You're right. And I apologize for that. It really makes me a terrible lefty that I didn't recognize the works of Lennon. So Catherine's in her name dream, and names kind of make you to be what you are. And so Catherine's reasoning goes here, name dreams make you fully what you are by your name mm-hmm. and apparently what Catherine is is kind of a slob because her armor is noticeably less well maintained but she goes on to say how names influence you good looking villains could turn ugly in a matter of months if they thought of their name as a brutes heroes were strikingly handsome heroines were wholesomely beautiful which is really a disgusting phrase actually mm-hmm. but then she says on others the effect was subtler Warlock was said to have stopped aging in the prime of his life, Militia at the peak of her beauty, and my teacher hadn't changed one speck since the day he'd become the Black Knight. Which means, Catherine just said, on others, the effect was subtler. The tall, gorgeous man stopped by being tall and gorgeous. The obscenely hot woman, who has the power of being obscenely hot, was obscenely hot. And my teacher is my teacher. These are 
this is subtler effects. Warlock and Militia are canonically the sexiest characters to me in this sentence. Wow. I mean, that's high praise. Yes, they are high praisey. They're the nobility. Well, not nobility, but they're they're the the government. The look I am giving you right now, who boy. Uh, for those who are listening in and not watching the YouTube filming of this, go on, look it up. Spend a lot of time. You'll find it. And if you can't find it, it means you're bad at YouTube. So, I mean, what's going and on? And a bad person. But the look I am receiving is one of withering disdain and barely restrained lust. I'll learn something new about myself, I guess. Cool. Well, the restraint's creeping in. Okay, it's restrained. So Kat is so- new to this name dream, and it pretty much immediately starts having a rough time. Yeah, she uh, she dropped into the dream, into ash and dust, and she hurt her leg, which is just a great way to end up in a dream. And this is, in fact, uh, just so you know, according to somnologists, the reason we experience the hypnic jerk, the, oh, I'm falling asleep, and whoa, okay, I'm not asleep, is because we're about to fall into the dream and we'd get hurt. Uh, oh. Follow for more fun facts. But... In her dream, the throbbing in her leg never quite goes away, which is, first of all, very amusing to me. And secondly, I mean, it doesn't ever go away. Like, she specifically, single-handedly, kills the dead king because of throbbing in her leg. Now, you can't say it never goes away. Am I wrong in remembering that while she's basically just a walking ice block, her leg's okay because when that stops happening, she complains about it? You are not wrong in remembering that, but you are wrong to remember that. Do not contradict me. You're right. I'm sorry. Cat, though, um, uh, so she, she's struggling because her leg hurts, but also she's struggling because she did a really bad decision and is lying to herself about how bad of a decision it was. She says that she's walking and she's not sure how long. It could be hours. It could have been days. It's unclear. And then she notes that last time she had a name dream, it had taken her days in the real world, in actual time, and that she could not afford to be out that long. She thinks this one won't be as long, won't take too long because forcing a single aspect would be better than what she was, you know, getting her name in the first place and all this. But not that she actually got her name at that point. Right. Now that she's in here, she's immediately like, wow, I really hope this doesn't take as long as my only other experience with this took. Why did she? Why is she doing this? What is she doing, Cat? What are you doing? And then she goes on to raise the stakes and also make it even more clear that this was the wrong decision. She said she's worried, or that Masego had mentioned that the demon might be able to interfere with this process. But then she says, "Though I was confident I could take it on inside my own soul." Hey, Cat friend, a demon of corruption. The worst place to take it on would be inside of your own anything. The absolute worst. This was this is an absurd thing to say. Oh, thankfully I'm only fighting a demon in my soul. This this whole chapter is just an exercise in cat being so reckless. You have to understand. It's where her demons hide. It's where her demons hide. Uh... Don't get too close, it's dark inside. That was from Nicki Minaj's demons. You're right. So Demons, says Catherine, are not supposed to be thinking creatures, not like mortals or older devils. They could mimic speech, just like the tower's gatekeeper, but that was just mimicry, which is wild to me. But this is because, according to her, they were not born of creation. And the fact that Catherine, head empty, handful of my foe's guts, is aware of that means that that's common knowledge, but like, 
the full implications of that, the further investigation of that, kind of drove Trismegistus to his madness, to his hubris, and to his apotheosis and damnation. Like this, they were not born of creation, says Catherine Head Empty Foundling. And that's like the whole thing. Mm -hmm. That's the whole thing. And EE just says it. And we all skipped over it the first time. Fam. And since I realized what it all meant at that point, to be clear. Well, obviously. There's also the next, there's a step beyond that where uh, she's talking about anything that comes from creation is beyond demons. Uh, they, we cannot, Catherine says, we cannot understand their intelligence. They cannot understand us. And I'm wondering, so demons clearly affect the world around them pretty drastically. And I have to imagine part of that is because they are not of creation, that they are something outside of it. So they're sort of a virus situation. They're, they're just, demons are just very weird. We never get a ton of information about them, but what we do get is all weird. And it's all a cool thing in the story. Uh, terrifying, of course. And I'm wondering over in what I'm, calling for now Demonlandia, the place demons are from. Do you think something powerful from creation, like a particularly in-tune named, or uh, I don't know, a particularly old elf or something, would have a similar effect in the place demons are from? Is that is it just that demons are foreign, or is their awful power something that is also unique to them, and that if a, if you know, a uh, ranger went to the place demons are from, if she would be even more corrupted because there are, it's so concentrated that like the demon juice is so concentrated there. Basically, is it the foreign nature? Is it the power or is it just demons are special? That's causing the, that makes demons so weird to deal with. I think demons are canonically basically missing. No, from Pokemon blue, okay. not Pokemon red from the good version, Pokemon blue. I said it. Bulbasaur supremacy. But Bulbasaur is not blue. Yeah, but at least it's not the Charizard one, okay? So, demons are, you know, from a previous attempt, and they were thrown away. Except not properly and fully. So there is no Demonlandia to go over to. But they are... Their file type does not match with the world properly, and they rewrite all the bits and bytes, and let you get a Mew, even though it was never unlocked in the West. And I suppose if you had the Missing No game, which you can probably find a creepypasta about, then your Bulbasaur would be the missing no of that game. So yes, you're right. Except we can't test it because there is no Demonlandia. Because there are no link cables in creation. Mm. And then, follow-up question, do you think that demons do all their nasty business in the Hells to Devils? Like, is it only here in the normal place creation where their full nastiness is unleashed? Or... Are the hells closer to what the demons are expecting, and you know they wouldn't be as bad there because the demons, demons and devils are loosely associated in the guide, and that devils are here, and the demon seems to be, if not guiding them, at least influencing them. I think demons and devils are more closely associated in a lot of our minds because the words are often pretty interchangeable. But I, I don't know. Do you think that there's something different in how devils and the hells work? Or if if a demon or is a demon basically only going to be bad for, you know, humans and stuff? I think a demon hell is a festering wound on creation that is just churning out metaphysical pus all the time. It's bad for everyone. And one final thought. 
Is there ever any mention of what would happen if one of the various gods or groups of gods did anything to... would have any interaction with demons? Like, if a couple of particular crows were directly interfacing with a demon, what would happen there? Would the crows get gunked up, or would their power be enough to hold back a demon? I mean, what we term apotheosis and godhood in the mortal world of the guide, it's certainly a very lesser thing. And demons are gunky, so I'm going to say the crows would stop being crows and instead be those tarred-up seagulls you see on an oil spill. Still black, still birds, but messed up and going to die. Cool. Well, thank you for being the demon expert for all of my questions. Well, you know what they say. Oh, what do they say? Really bad things about queer people and then associating them with demons. So, you know what? Let's let's just run with it. I'll take it. I'm an expert now. Hmm. All right. So, Catherine's just walking through this ash and dust when she starts finding corpses. Uh-oh. And... So she just keeps on going after hacking the limbs away just in case, which I'm not going to say is a bad move or anything. <laughs> and in fact, as a GM would be. Yeah, I was going to say, it's extremely TTRPG to do that. You pass through the portal and find yourselves in a great hall lined with statues. And I smash the statues. I break them. I break the statues. I mean, it's the only right decision. The statues will attack you, just like we found out in the last name dream. Catherine's right. And it's so annoying for her GM. The demon? Masego? No, the demon is her GM, yeah. Sick. So she finds out that the corpses are men and women of the 12th who died when she thwarted the lone swordsman in Summerholm. I'm not sure how many she can actually recognize of any specifically, but you know what? It's a dream, and so you get to just know things. And then she finds a Soninke girl. Her corpse not quite desiccated enough to hide the sword wound that had split her head in half. And I'm not an expert on desiccation. You all know the feel when a corpse dries up so much that you can't see the holes in its skull from the swords? It, It's, um, so it's like, you know, I don't think I have anything for that. I think this is, I think, does she just mean like the blood is gone? Or that it's desiccated so much it's unrecognizable as a corpse, maybe? I don't know. Okay, but I've seen images of 3,000-year-old mummies and the like, or, uh, What's his name? Like, Edsley? Little Ice Dude? Sure. Bogman, Iceman, all of the various men. I've seen Bogman, I've seen Iceman, I've seen Spider-Man. Uh, I will say it, the official position of this podcast is that Tobey Maguire is the greatest Spider-Man to ever live. Dang, that, that's the podcast's official position? It is, and I personally disagree with it, but what can I do? I mean, I, if the higher-ups made the decision, I don't know what we can do. So don't tell anyone that I think the best Spider-Man is Reeve Carney. Broadway fans will laugh at that. Oh, I hear them. You're right. And, you know, we have pandered the Broadway fans because have you seen people going to the theater? That's where the money is. They're like dripping in gems, like, say, rubies. Uh, very good. So Catherine gives us uh, rubies to piglets, which I we've been kind of keeping an eye out for with her. She's been dialing in on rubies to piglets, and we got there. So, uh, Yay. She's been workshopping some charming callowisms. Right. Some some various types of rock to give to farm animals. Granite to heifers. Exactly. <laughs> Granite to heifers is pretty good, actually. Uh, but her name dream twin is here, and it's the funny one uh, who is, I guess, the evil twin. Hard to say. Anyway. It's good. It, there's some good stuff here. There's some good energy at the start of the conversation because the the doppelganger says 
you should have killed Eris by now, but, you know, nobody's perfect. And then she hesitates, and the verb used here is she conceded, except me. I am perfect. It's it's a good start to the conversation. I really like this doppelganger. With that kind of confidence, I am inclined to believe her. Honestly. Uh, she also referred to uh, the beginnings of the woe and the officer staff of the 15th as being Kat's minions, which Kat takes umbrage with and says, they're not my minions, they're my friends. Wait, according to whom aren't they? Also, am I wrong in remembering that Kat has referred to them as her minions already? In- and will again? Yeah. Might again. Who knows? Oh, Who can say? This is a, that's my word for them situation. Yeah, it's only okay when I call them that. That's pretty good. So they're not minions. And as a rebuttal, good cat, which I'm calling her doppelganger because it's superior to cat. Before you go all righteous on me, sweet cheeks, answer me this. If you ask Nock to rip out some noble's throat, would he even stop to think before obeying? And Catherine's response is, I wouldn't ask. I know you're feeling defensive and oppositional, but you wouldn't ask one of your minions to rip out a noble's throat? Catherine, they're nobles. Yeah, I was going to say. Catherine. Especially because she says, Nock wouldn't hesitate. He would do it and uh, laugh and then forget about it a month later. Right, exactly. Because why would he care? <laughs> like, I believe we should all be kind to one another. But if we just changed it so we were only ripping out the throats of nobles, like, hmm? pretty minimal loss. Fam. Metaphorically speaking, of course. Of course. The the doppelganger, you know, when Kat says, I wouldn't ask, the doppelganger's response is, you will, and starts going about, uh, that's the greater good nonsense, you know, you can justify anything. And then she just leaps into this argument with a rhetorically pretty strange place to start with heroes might spawn from this orphanage and make a big mess, so we burn it. That Like, that's that's the... Step one, that's the first point against Catherine's methods that the doppelganger brings up. It That seems like the extreme, like the end result, the, the last place something could end up that would be really bad, right? It's weird to me that she's like, the fir- you know, first of all, let's, let's list the possibilities. You might burn an orphanage. To be fair, Catherine has not spoken. Catherine has not spoken too positively about her orphanage, other than acknowledging the boons that's granted her. Okay. She She's not exactly pro-orphanage. Pro-orphanage, if you will. That's fair. All right. Cat would burn an orphanage, and the doppelganger was right to bring it up first. I apologize. Yeah. But you know what they say. I mean, I know one thing they say. That apparently you can't make an omelet without burning a few armies, sacking the villages they came from, and salting the land that spawned them. Uh, that was my grandmother's favorite saying. Oh. She was the best. Uh, yeah. And a great cook. Huh. But Catherine doesn't like that because her whole goal is to avoid putting Callow to the torch. And you know how her doppelganger is always right? Yeah. You know how sometimes being right doesn't make anything easier? Also, yeah. Well, Catherine wants to avoid putting Callow to the torch, and her doppelganger just says, Callow burns, sweetheart. That's what it does. And she's not wrong, but oh, yeah. Like from a narrative standpoint, that's 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 part of what Callow's whole point is. Like it exists to burn. Uh, which is and a narrative rough. standpoint is the only diegetically reasonable one. Unfortunately, yeah. So Callow burns is uh, you know maybe a bit of a generalization, but pretty accurate. And Cat Cat makes one as well. Do you recall when we were discussing Cat's uh, take on? 
evil's problem being their its stance on legacy, basically, and how I had and it's some, a uniform problem all evil bears. Yeah, right, right, right. And I, how we had some serious issues with that, just from a I don't know understanding that people are individuals, even if this story takes some of that away to some extent. Anyway, Kat does it again in a different way. Like she focuses on a Catherine. different, yeah, she focuses on a different issue to act like it's the end all be all of why evil fails. She says, this is why evil loses. I realized by overreaching, by thinking you could put all of Kalerni on the defensive and not be buried under the backlash. Now, the previously her, her reasoning for evil always failing was being concerned about legacy in a weird way. And this time it's just, Anybody who's evil is megalomaniacal enough to think that they're just going to beat up all of creation. and Or actually, not even all of creation, just all of Kalernia. And while that's true for the big villains, Kairos is going after everybody, Black and Militia are going after everybody, I don't think it's true for literally every villain. You know, It seems like a bit of a stretch to say that that's what's happening here. You don't think the Poisoner is going to take over the world wait well wasn't the poisoner kind of famous for a hunt, like poisoning a bunch of important people so maybe actually that was a poor example wow you know what i don't know why you're bringing wealth into this hmm, classes true so anyway cat thinks that all of evil is one of two things and i think she's wrong you are so brave to think Catherine foundling is wrong thank you all right you are right that that was what i was going for can i still be brave no that was a film about a girl whose mother turned into a bear oh the film where where the her mother turned into a bear and her three brothers grew up and became imagine dragons yes it's weird that they wrapped up the origin story for that band in that movie huh like i think it was i mean that was their big break right uh-huh when when they were little scottish boys <laughs> yep <laughs> i think we've i think we've kind of lost the plot huh and won so much so the other doppelganger, the quote-unquote good one, uh, is apparently dead. Eh. Before, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, quote-unquote, those were scare quotes. It means I don't believe them. It um, means you're scared? It means I'm terrified, but still brave. The, uh, the, other, the other twin, the other doppelganger, is apparently dead. The one that's been chatting with Catherine here uh, didn't kill her, wink. Oh no, what happened? Uh, she died of natural causes. And Catherine, ever quick on her feet, immediately cottons on to what's going on here and asks, is that the name of your sword? Pretty good stuff, I gotta say. That's pretty good. That's very good. And evil cat, evil doppelganger cat, who you're calling good cat, so maybe I'll stick with that. Good cat is, um, she's got a little bit of the bard in her, I think, because, you know, this... No, that's not the intercessor that Catherine has a thing with. Okay, ha ha ha. Man, I was doing a fake laugh, and then that was actually really funny. Um, <laughs> the, she, you know, she's bantering with Cat. She's uh, allegedly that's the name of my sword. Ha ha. Uh, and then says, if you listen, you can still hear her. Whoops, you can hear her because she's actually alive and digging herself up out of the ground. And the doppelganger's immediate response, like without hesitation, is. A zombie! Quick, kill it before it devours us. Very good stuff. It's it's you know it's funny stuff. It's very bard like. It's it's a very lighthearted moment before things just kind of fall off a cliff here pretty soon. Why can't we keep this, Catherine? Honestly. And meanwhile, 
regular dumb old boring real Catherine refuses to have any fun while she's on a strict timetable and a demon's coming and it's not even going to work, Catherine, you fool. It's what we get the comedy show. Catherine says, your squabbles are of no interest to me. I'm here for my third aspect. I don't suppose either of you can point me in the right direction. Why? It doesn't even... Like, good try, Catherine. But you're not going to get anywhere with this and you know it. And she knows it and the doppelgangers know it. There's a lot of back and forth about... Uh, you, you're evil. That's why this isn't working. And back in, they argue for a bit, including the good cat, good cat, saying that there's a squatter in Catherine's soul. Whoops. Um, oh no! What could that be? Yep. And then we get a nice title drop of the chapter where they're arguing, and there's just a sound that. Let's see here. Oil through Catherine's veins, and she falls to her knees, retching dryly into the ash. The word is seek, the title of the, the chapter, uh, that she just hears. Uh, and through this sound, she can tell that something is smiling at her just beyond the edge of her vision. Both of the spirits, previously arguing back and forth, you, saying things like that some of the issues here are lame, they're both pale and shivering. Because, uh... Hmm... Yeah, there's something here that shouldn't be, and it is not going well for Catherine. So, Catherine is not really here alone without allies. And you know what you're thinking. Of course then, there are these two girls. No, Catherine is not going to be Catherine's ally. Have you seen the way she treats herself? Like, honestly. Yeah. She she needs to learn a bit more self-love. But, Catherine is able to, uh, well, you know, she's got a little beastie boy. It's her name. And we've talked about how names kind of exhibit a an agency. Uh, life outside of their bearer, and the question of what are names, what influence do names have, what influence do people have, what... Well, here, the white-robed Catherine says, but this could be Catherine's own delusion, we can't take it as fact, but it's a mm -hmm. piece of claim, roles are bound by perception, though the shape you have given your power is deplorable. I will not deny it has a certain martial might. So Catherine's soul delusion thinks that she gave her name its beast form interesting it is and that's sort of we we have mentioned before that it's interesting how different names are conceptualized different but differently by the people who bear them you know black's name being the gears and machinery and cats being the beast it's always cool when we get a little bit more information about why that is or how that is this is a, a nice little thing here so there's a demon the the doppelgangers are sort of back to arguing a little bit and we get one last moment of i don't know banter before things really just collapse uh the do the evil doppelganger is uh talking about catherine's uh, were we, i stuck with paramore didn't i yeah it was talking about catherine's yeah. paramore and uh <laughs> she she gives the line of all the things we've been nailing lately She's definitely top of the list. I gotta say, that's a pretty funny thing to say. I really appreciated that. Kat didn't, though. She slapped the hand away and said that she doesn't need a pep talk from the evil doppelganger. But, eh, you know, I appreciated it, even if Kat doesn't. Now, while I absolutely remember Catherine's lover's name and could repeat it any time accurately, of course, I yep. just want to note that her other selves don't remember who this person is, other than calling her that hot redhead. I mean... Yeah, when fair your enough. Soul doesn't recall. Well, yeah, because Cat doesn't love her. I'm just not here to say what relationships you can or can't have, but 
with the power differential and the way you're not apparently uh-huh. talking about anything and and mm-hmm, I just mm-hmm. have the relationships you want but be communicative and responsible through them that's all and also I don't know if you can have a responsible relationship with your underlings if that's not in place before you have the so the next part of this story that we're talking about is a line where the doppelgangers send off Catherine because you know what she just needs to go because of what's in her soul well doppelganger singular because the doppelganger that you've been referring to as good cat just gets knocked out by the other one for as revenge for burying her alive you know pretty good sad. move yeah it's when sad, you say knocked out do you mean like knocked she, due to someone just knocked him yeah she knocked punched her. Her, she punched her really hard and uh, no she didn't punch her she hit her with a breastplate <laughs> in the head it was pretty good uh That's anyway very funny <laughs> it's really good uh but then she tells cat to go to help her name fight the demon because this whole time cat's name has been fighting the demon which is pretty cool and also terrifying uh but i do not want my name to touch a demon nope uh but anyway she, the, the line she gives is that creature plaguing us is worse than what even evil can muster it's it's so demons are so far beyond reality are so bad that they are outside the paradigm of good versus evil of the the gods above and the gods below and Catherine's name is aware of that and is warning her about it. it you know it even says you do the work of the heavens by ridding a, ridding us of it however unwillingly demons are so bad that they're willing to set aside the god's like the big wager the big thing the the core of reality to deal with it and cat's got it in her soul fighting her name right now whoops that doesn't seem like a good thing correct why did Catherine invite that in what a goob so there's a sense of Catherine being stalked. But this isn't the demon. No, 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 no. It's some kind of beast. It's her name. And she said, I own it. It does not own me. And you know, sure, maybe. Why not? Let's try that idea out. See if it fits. Yeah. Following that, to try to prove her point, she speaks to her own name. She says, come out. And the beast laughs at her, mocks her, but does come out. It's horrifying. It's, you know, it's shifting shadows uh, in the shape of a beast coiling around her. It opens its jaw that's larger than her head, ivory fangs clinking just in front of her nose. And its breath is cold, like the bite of the wind in winter. Just. Oh, like you know, George R. R. Martin. Just exactly. Just like Jarton, Martin, Martin, Martin. That is exactly what I was thinking of. No, it's it's just a little. Uh, hey, Cat's name is already doing winter things. It's it's cold. It, you know, might be important later. But Cat is. Uh, it, it, we talked. We kind of touched on this, but it, I just really enjoy how Cat's relationship with her name is so antagonistic. She is not working with her name. She is speaking at it to come to her. It is trying to make her flinch. It's binding her, and it's it's to the point where Cat says, "I am not afraid of you. I lied." She's, the relationship between her and this part of her that gives her power and is making her more of who she truly is, is so antagonistic that she's terrified of it. It, yeah, it's it's a rough one, and uh, I feel as though most named don't seem to have such a a conflict-ridden relationship with their own role. In all fairness, though, this is the relationship 
closest to the heart of Catherine's entire being because, you know, it is her being, mm-hmm. kind of. And having an antagonistic relationship is just kind of Catherine's way of doing relationships. <laughs> fair, fair. But. Yeah. The, the little beastie boy from uh, the Teen Titans mm-hmm. guides her along. It is green. It doesn't say that here, but you can read between the lines. Right. And he leads her not to Titan Tower. What? But rather to what well, we, you, you, I think I'm done with the podcast for this morning. Uh, you, you can just take it from here. I think it's all easy. Don't worry about it. So Catherine comes across the squatter in her soul. And if no one minds, I'm just going to go ahead and read this because it is hor- it, it is horrific. It is the first glimpse we get of something like this and the most description we get of one in detail. And it's important to remember, this is inside of Catherine's soul. It is sitting alone on a dune, looking at the sky. It looked, I thought, like a child's drawing of a person, pink, naked, hairless flesh from its toeless feet to the crown of its head, where I shuddered at what I saw. If it had been tentacles or horns, I might have simply thought it a monster and dealt with the fear, but it was neither. Just darkly colored flesh cut into smaller threads as a sordid parody of hair and perfectly combed. It did not turn when we approached. It did not breathe. The beast howled and I drew my sword, and only then did it deign to glance in our direction. I wish it hadn't. Its lips were sealed, made of the same fleshy growth, and its nose did not have nostrils. Its eyebrows were nothing more than dark ridges, but the eyes were the worst. Holes in tightened flesh, empty. So that's that's a demon of corruption. It's very nasty. And now Cat is going to bite it in her soul. She tries to invoke the nascent aspect that she's been trying to rescue from the demon here without knowing that that's what she was doing. She says, seek. And by doing that, by invoking it, she snatches the aspect from the demon before it has a chance to act. And we get a glimpse about uh, into what this aspect could have been for Catherine. It says here that her mind unspooled. Uh, she's filled. Her mind is filling with information that she shouldn't have had. How tall the dune is. How many steps it would take her to reach the demon. How to avoid hurting her leg. It's like a floodgate. She says uh, this is the aspect that she needed. It was something that would be a huge equalizer. She already has learned to fill her mind with information. She has struggle that's not enough and now she has seek to find the solution to the problems the other two can't it's a it's a very powerful thing it's very cool it's very worm alert path to victory uh worm alert worm watch what i remember what we called it it's also weirdly scholarly Catherine is famously somebody who thinks with her fists i believe the phrase is she's throwing herself into problems she brute forces things and Two-thirds of her aspects are education, are knowledge, are intellect-based. She's got learn and seek at this brief moment. It's kind of weird that Catherine ends up with those, but I guess it's what she needs. However, he tries to follow seek to the answer of how to get a demon out of her soul. 
And every single one of the paths that this aspect grants her, every single option it grants her, hit a wall, stop, die. The demon attempts a smile, and Catherine hears the word, mine, and then wakes up screaming, strapped to a bed. And that is where we will have to leave it for today, folks. Join us next week on Podcast Guys Talking Erratica Errata as we discuss a song, a slice, and a second round, and as always, wait in their blood. Podcast Guys Talking Erratic Errata is a fan-made podcast discussing Erratic Errata as a practical guide to evil. Check out the full serial at practicalguideevil.wordpress.com. Intro music for this episode was Cradle of Your Soul by Lemur Music Studio. Music for the epigraph was Two Silly Monkeys by Jeff Harvey. Demon music was If I Only Had a Soul by Tim Kulik. Outro music, which even now is elevating my voice to the realms of the divine, is The Price of Freedom by Daddy S. Music. The music is provided by the generous license of pixabay.com slash music. Go and support all the artists who make this work possible by providing their stories and sounds free of charge. If you'd like to support this podcast, follow us on Twitter at The Long Price. Do you have questions, comments, or contributions? Are you overwhelmed by the urge to correct our errors? Email us at thelongprice at gmail.com. If you'd like to materially support our work, find our Patreon at patreon.com slash pgtee. Join the ranks of our patrons and be called by name, receive personalized stories and art, and access a fair few patron-exclusive sound bites. We implore you, don't consider joining unless you're already supporting the artists who make this all possible. Special thanks to our patron and villainous hero, Grey, our patron and liege, always the claimant, never the named, our patron and guardian, the Fey knight, our patron and mentor, the traveling teacher, our patron and dear friend, Eren, our patron and inspiration, the hopeful romantic, as well as the hordes of cattle below. Next week, chapter 27. Cut.